podcast episode three our sponsor this week is once again humble nursery and farmstead u-m-b-e-l nursery.com humble nursery.com as uh, supply lines start to tank as more and more restrictions are placed on health care One of the most important things you can do is, I mean, it would have been important before now, but we're going to be forced to do it or else, you know, you're just going to keel over or pray. Praying helps, of course. But you're going to need to start accessing um, and educating and networking towards... building a a basis, your own knowledge base, and finding other practitioners and sources for other, you know, modalities of healing other than the allopathic, um, which is great for trauma. Don't, uh, don't neglect your, your local nurse, paramedic. They can, they can do some stuff, but, um, you know, try to avoid trauma at all possible costs. So, for elderberry syrup, salves, herbs, education, and um, I think if you're local to them, you know, you'd be, you'd do well to, uh, to get on their lists and, and such, but um, yeah, we thank them very much for their sponsorship this week. The program is, I'm going to reverse what, what I've normally been doing, which was um, kind of start out with esoteric monologue stuff and then preserving the practical goodies for subscribers in the second hour. In this case, I think what I'm going to try and do is condense sort of a version of the whole show into the first hour to try and bait you people who still want to spend the proverbial cliche $6 on your uh, pumpkin spice latte, but don't want to kick down for um, your local, you know, guerrilla theorist slash novelist. Anyway, um, so along this vein, or in this vein, along this track... I'm going to start out on the concept of acceptance. I will post, um, I will repost the post, which I already reposted, but I will repost the repost one more time on Instagram, where I am goldengoatguild.com, or that's, no, goldengoatguild.net is the website, and goldengoatguild is the at on Instagram. Um, and since we already plugged the website, you might as well go over there and buy a couple t-shirts so that um, I can stay in diapers and, and diesel. So this post, um, I can't remember the guy's name and I was just introduced to him, but he made a very, um, uh, I thought, astute, super astute observation. And so I think I decided to steal it and um, expound on it a little bit because he's 100% correct when he said, paraphrasing, that you can basically access inner peace, which is the obvious opposite of um, anxiety and uh, nervousness, you know, upset, all of this stuff. Um, you can, and I've, I've said this throughout my life to many people who I've 
discuss these sorts of things with. The whole thing is an the whole entire business is bullshit. It's just a an illusion, a hall of mirrors, and depending on um, how wrapped up you get in it, and you know where your pain points, your attachments lay, and what the where your kind of emotional or other what your investments of any sort stand. Um, anxiety hits, you know, differently. However, the difficult to accept fact, um, until you just have to accept it, is that in this theme of already of circular language, acceptance is sort of the key to opening the, um, like the back door, the, the shortcut, the secret route, the secret chute over to peace. And so to, what does this mean exactly? Well, it means whatever your circumstances are, no matter how, like, let's, they're probably, you know, they're not going so well, you're struggling through them and something profoundly bad happens and then oh shit it starts to snowball and before you know it if you're a dude you want to curl up in the corner and cry if you're a female maybe you are curled up in the corner and crying screaming you know it's it's still the same because this is easy to do when you're um when all is well the supply lines are are great you picked the right degree everyone's alive and healthy etc um it's pretty easy to go to a yoga class and roll out when it's sunny and and feel great and that's great the trick um and this is an enormously useful trick my guess in my experience it won't it won't probably occur to you um, when think you know when the the stress level starts to redline sometimes you have to redline for like a while a few hours a few days if you're in a situation that's going to be some trauma will go on for your whole life and so it could be years into living with red line level trauma that you finally just are like, fuck it. Fuck all this shit. I'm, I'm not just, I can't do it anymore. This is probably where, you know, the popularity of these um, zero fucks, this bullshit, uh, if it has a good uh, kernel origin point, maybe that's it. Ultimately, it's false. And it's not that you're really saying, oh, well, fuck it. It's that what you've done is you finally accepted, okay, well, this is what I have to work with, and come what may. So, what can you do with it now? You could apply it right now. You could take five minutes, and hopefully your, you know, your life is is okay but there's something and it's obviously not to say that um, you're just going to you have some issue you know we're going to ignore the Jordan Petersonian category of wisdom and not clean our room for example it would it would be more it would be closer to accepting the fact that yeah, I have to participate in the drudgery of cleaning my room. Um, and if that's the, you know, the level of first world problem that you're dealing with, God bless you. If it's more, um, take it, um, take it from experience. Um, it can be years until you get to the place where you accept it. And there's like this rollover slingshot effect that happens where 
in accepting it, you've just now freed up all this extra energy that was just going down the tubes into despair and frustration and anger and what have you. And it is, it is almost magical in the way that you pull the valve, you, that pressure valve of stress, Okay, so at least you've gotten that out of, at least you've dealt with that. And so this can be a huge turning point in your own, you know, in the, in the long-term project of taking responsibility for yourself. All right, so we'll leave it at that on acceptance. For the newcomers, hopefully there's many of you, we are in the Warhorse, the actual Dodge 3500 um, with the MM3 tuner and a variety of other uh, very important modifications. And um, that sound you hear, that's the locks, um, is the Warhorse. We also have arrayed um, my weapons which is the ritual. The Winkler Knives operator is in hand. Probably, in my estimation, I mean, the best, if you could only have one knife, it's the, it's the best knife that was ever made. I've tried for several years now to come up with some modification that would improve it, um, and I haven't been able to do it. So, Mr. Daniel Winkler at some point in the near future, we'll be getting an email, which he'll probably ignore. Uh, but this email will be detailing both my love and admiration for, for this design. It was a dual design, and um, Kevin Holland might be the, the special operator guy who um, participated in the design. I'm probably wrong on that, but... Additionally, uh, in the weapon suite, we have my EDC, the uh, probably 1980s refurbished, somewhat refurbished, lightly used West German Sig Sauer 230. And last, but definitely not least, is my um, Walk by Faith 777 made colonial style, I think. Maybe a more of a frontiersman style, mountain man style, tomahawk. And yes, this goes in the warhorse truck all the time, every day. And then, of course, General Snooze, which is, um, as far as I'm concerned, a superfood. All right, next, keeping the pace up. In regard to breath work, one of the foundational, I mean, one of the most crucial, critical skills in breath work that I would advise, in my opinion, 20 years of this stuff, is what is called ujjayi. I have no idea how to spell it. I will look it up and um, probably forget to put it in the, in the show notes, but you can find it. Ujjayi. I did also post an excellent demonstration of this on the Instagram. Again, Golden Goat Guild on Instagram. And you can, um, I think there, I don't know if I can archive it or not, but I will work on that. Um, it's, it's a woman who's associated with the Shift company, Brian McKenzie, and she really nails it. I will do uh, in the mic here my aversion for you. Essentially, what you, it's all through your nose, though when you first learn, you might do a few what they call lion's breath. I never really got much use out of lion's breath. That would be the exhale part. So the first part is an inhale, and you are condensing that space where you're kind of your epiglottis and the very roof of your mouth meet and the back of, of your nasal passages kind of all 
there's a confluence there. You are cinching that down to create this audible, a lot, most people seem to describe it as an oceanic breath. I've never quite felt it like that, but you are contracting that area and creating drag on the inhale. So here's an example. I usually, that's the best I can do up real high. I usually actually do mine a little bit lower down the throat, so it sounds more like Due to, I have a super um, distorted set of uh, sinus pipes and um, deviated septum and the whole deal, which I worked very hard to familiarize myself with. Not the greatest version. Her version is much better, but um, it'll give you a place to start for sure. My recommendation, this comes, I should say, mostly from yoga. So 20 years, 15 years of um, doing this constantly throughout the class in 105 degree heat will will definitely hone this skill. And what you'll find is that for whatever reasons, it gets you through very, very difficult stuff. Clearly there's the aspect of your hint, you're hooking into your breath, your attention is going there. So you're not having these lags of mouth breathing or what have you where your body's being poorly powered. It also kind of hooks you to you with this audible sound. Um, having never taught, like a much of class anyway, um, teachers will describe their experience of hearing, you know, 30 or 40 students doing this kind of in unison. Maybe that's where the ocean idea comes from. But um, another another way that I have found that you can use this is in all other exercise. Super high intensity stuff like sprinting. Um, you can get there, you know, to some degree. Again, Brian McKenzie at Shift has gone into this whole gear um, sort of template where he does use oh, oh I forgot to give you the lion's breath real quick inhale something like that is lion's breath but we're talking about Brian McKenzie he has this method where he will utilize exhales through the mouth um, when he's doing endurance stuff. I'm not sure how he does like sprinting. Um, personally, I can, I know I could, I can do one or two, um, all out, you know, 50 or a hundred yards just with the nose. I also know that if you dial it back, how intense your sprint is, how intense whatever it is, and you find the the point where you can manage it, that in itself is a super useful you know expenditure of your time. If you are cognizant of this um, the value of, of nasal breathing and, and building stamina. So with Ujjayi, hiking um, walking, a lot of sort of moderate intensity stuff. Ujjayi will do all of these same tricks of hooking you back to yourself, keeping you the gas exchange in a nice place where you can manage it, and thereby focusing more in, you know, on form, um, 
technique, say you're, you're doing martial arts. And uh, so we'll leave it there with Ujjayi. But this is a, I mean, I would put it at easily in the top five um, skills related to breath work and absolutely grab this one and get it in your in your toolbox so with respect to walking and technique um, I've said before on other podcasts it's just my opinion you know um, I'm 45 I'll be 46 in a couple months I've you know it's 30 years, 35 years of actual experience um, related to D1 athletics, etc. And of course, a lot of yoga and a lot of other stuff, well, martial arts. But I'm not claiming to be an expert, so don't don't get up in my shit about it. Everybody, I mean, could you claim to to be an expert in walking? Um, I think you probably could after 40 years of walking. What I'd like to offer you, though, in terms of um, coming from a guy who who is obsessed with form and technique and all these sorts of things and, and has found uh, spiritual levels, you know, hierophanies, to, uh, to go back to Eliade from some episodes ago, um, in walking is available to you like one of the most ancient activities we have, it's pretty evidently one of the uh, fundamental activities that our body was was made for. I, I've said this before too, I always wonder about the actual value or, you know, deadlifts and whatnot I mean, yeah, clearly that's, that's something we can do. But should you really eschew perf- a perfect, perfecting the skill of walking before perfect, you know, increasing your deadlifts? I'm not so sure. It's probably going to come down to your goals and um, your biases and whatnot. Mine happen to be towards long distance stamina and... Um, harmony in terms of my my interaction interface with with the world so with walking what you have is a set of spirals um, in your shoulders and your hips and you have another set of sling-like muscles uh, sort of coordinated muscular action uh, and so what do I mean by the circles let's start there you need to go out and practice this and get the idea so you're walking get loose you know get sort of warmed up and begin to relax everything not so that you're jello but that things you're flowing along and if you are not to a point, if you are so obese that you can't get there, um, or just carrying so much weight that you can't get there, even if that's just muscle, you very well might not be able to experience this. So if you want to, send me a DM and we can talk about it. If you're in great shape, good shape, or near to those, you can probably um, experience this. So as you're as say your left foot comes forward, your right arm is also swinging forward. And on the back side of your body, as well as on the front, imagine sort of a sheath between your shoulder and your hip and a corresponding one, like a, like a sash, right? Your obliques and your abdominal muscles are one part of that sling that's moving those two bilateral pieces in rhythm on the back a similar sash set of muscles it's actually many many muscles working in coordination 
to say nothing of the foot and the legs, etc., or your neck. However, I think the first step in gaining, moving towards some, some idea of uh, perfect form begins with this recognition that if you watch your hip, you will notice that the foot comes down, it sort of swings out, and then comes down pretty much center line to the body as the, um, you know, whether that you put, started with your left, so the right comes forward, and now the left is in the back, you will feel as you bring that foot back forward again, there is like this oblong egg spiral shape, step, 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 swinging step. And you've got a similar thing happening in both shoulders. And that would be, observation would be step one in my opinion. Working out the perfect coordination, relaxed yet supple, because you can add power through those slings as opposed to depending on you know the power of your hamstring or the power of your calf um, when you're just walking on flat surfaces it's not that necessary you don't want to shut them down but they also are not being called on to play a huge role and when you go uphill downhill etc things change and um, it's pretty obvious how they do but we'll go there later so the other two um, points worth touching on with regard to perfect form, in my opinion, and related to survival, related to our purposes here on the War Horse Podcast, one, barefoot, two, with weapons. So we're working out the schedule with Mr. James LaFond, and he's going to have some well-developed opinions on, on all of this. Right now, you know, the judicial conditions in which we find ourselves in most states make are already making um, concealed carry more dangerous than it ever was. And so in the subscriber section, I will talk about some... Some things I've heard, some things I've seen um, in the area of the world where I live in terms of um, some people building up redundancies and legal cliques. Not quite a guild, but this was an obvious thing that was going to happen. And uh, I'll save that for subscribers. Better make a note. Um... So, again, we're going to talk to Mr. LaFond about this, a man who's done a lot of walking and who has done a lot of walking with a lot of thinking into his weapon choice and application, everything. Um, he's going to be a, a wealth of knowledge and information. What I can provide right now is the suggestion that... Uh, you know, back to Mr. Winkler and the operator. This is what I favor. Uh, it's one of the things I favor right now, and I'm favoring this um, small concealed carry piece. What I'm getting at is you want to not necessarily begin uh, your, your efforts at, at finding perfect walking form, which will eventually increase your stamina many many fold if you can figure it out and you can't it's totally natural to you a fish could do it if fish could walk but they can't so they they can't really do it you see the point though um you can definitely do it and i would advocate at some point adding your i hate this term edc but the stuff that you carry right so your weapons for several reasons. Usually our weapons these days are around our hips. And so it's one thing to conceal these weapons. It's a whole other to actually move for any length of time and keep them retained, concealed, and somehow create uh, the apparatus of uh, carry 
that they're not just a pain in the ass, a literal digging into your hips, um, etc. A lot of work has been done on this. Um, one guy who definitely should sponsor the podcast because I plugged him several times is the um, the company who makes the Enigma, this sort of new holster setup, PH PH holster. I still don't know the name. That's probably why he hasn't sponsored me, but that thing is is a definite uh, step forward. If you're attached to your leather or your Milt Sparks, your Galco, I got no problem with any of it. I'm just letting you know what, what has worked for me. And the point here again is walking five miles with your weapons is, is and I don't mean on a hike, I mean through the world, you know, uh, maybe you live rurally and it is somewhat like a hike. Maybe you don't, and you're getting on one form of transportation or another, um, in and out of transportation, in and out of stores. In the event that you have to do any of that, say there's a gas gas a fuel uh, shortage, and all of a sudden you're on foot. Um, this would be a prime time where you don't want to be completely and totally new to these sorts of things. All right, and then jumping back to the barefoot. One guy who um, probably deserves to be sponsored is the Grounded Athlete. Um, Again, on Instagram, that's where I spend most of my social media uh, life force. Gets sucked out of me there. This guy is... um, He's putting out some very good content, and he seems like a very uh, serious and honorable sort of fellow and I just purchased a set of his Gaia sandals um, which I'm looking forward a lot to testing out I've been doing barefoot stuff for close to 15 years uh, when I got my first pair of Russell moccasins custom made modified for tracking etc I've tried lately the ultra running shoes which I I really do like if you've not gone barefoot yet and you're say less than 60 I strongly strongly recommend that you look into this Um, maybe maybe um, the grounded athlete would be interested in coming on the podcast and putting I'm not a big science guy as I've said before I love to use metaphor and all the different languages of science to in a literary way and um, I do like to tinker and experiment and um, play with tools but I'm an artist and so if I can find people who who can bridge the gap you know it's always useful for me and he seems like a guy who with a, a fairly scientific mind but also a good communicator and um He can give us the mechanical and electrical reasons uh, for why, you know, barefoot for as as many hours of the day as you can pull it off is the way to go. All right. Moving on. There is another, uh, we're going to switch gears, but still on the survival skill theme here. So in terms of intellectual survival skills, this is another big one, foundational. And it's called the trivium. It's been around for thousands of years. And the trivium is comprised of grammar, logic, and rhetoric. I picked this up from both Richard Grove at uh, tragedyandhope.com, who I have mentioned before, and um, a little bit from John Taylor Gatto, who is another guy who has been mentioned on the podcast. Legend. Well, kind of both of them. Um, John Taylor Gatto, uh, in particular, is very special. If you're thinking about homeschooling your kids, which you should be, you should stop thinking about it and just do it. Um, the Underground History of Education, as well as his other one, I think it's Weapons of Mass. Uh, instruction absolutely essential so 
here's this trivium. You know, if you are homeschooling, you might have already heard about this. I think that it's um, becoming kind of popular in those circles. So grammar, logic, rhetoric, input, processing, output. It has even been extended to Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Uh, and I believe that was where John Taylor Ghetto uh, cut Richard Andrew Grove off. But maybe if we can get uh, Rich to come on the show, we'll pick up right there. Because this triune feature of reality definitely deserves uh, wide and in-depth exploration. So if it's, if it's grammar is input, this is... Let's take something like that I don't really know that well but a little bit like welding so the grammar of welding would be like this is your welding machine these are the gloves um, this is another type of welding machine here's the TIG machine here's the stick machine um, this is what a weld looks like you give an example of We've taken two sheets of metal, two pieces, and we've harnessed electricity, shot it through this elaborate apparatus that no welder, very few of them, you know, actually understand. And then uh, a very technical skill uh, built up over years is also focused into this. And then we're melting these two pieces of metal together, usually with some admixture of powder and gas along the way. And there's, you know, that would be like, I mean, you could go further. Here's your shield. Here's, here's uh, the gas tank, you know, here, here's what, and then you could give an example of it. Logic um, might in this instance, this is completely off the top of my head, so it, it might, it, uh, it might need some work. Logic might be an explanation of why we need to, um, well, you know, fix these two pieces together. Logic may be a further dive into the machine itself, into the various stick combinations available, into the various um, hand techniques available. And... In this case, um, you know, your output or your rhetoric would be uh, a, a weld, probably. So this can be presented and refined in many, many, many versions. One key point that I think is often missed here is that it's a, it's a circuit. So the first version of this might just be Real simple. Here's the welder. Okay, put the mask on. Grab your gloves. We're going to stick these two pieces of metal. Grab your spark and just work this pool, this liquid molten pool, down this line. Okay, turn it off. Pull your mask up. There's your weld. That's the rhetoric. Grammar, logic, rhetoric. And say this kid, we're, we're showing a kid how to do it. He's like, wow, I love this. I want to know more. So what you would do is go back to the starting space. Grammar. Okay, well, the first was a stick. Let's do it on a TIG machine. Okay, you run through that. Now it's like, well, I want to do stainless, and I want to make my own combinations, and I want to really get, how does this, my, my pools suck. I want to stack dimes here. And make beautiful welts. So you just cycle through this over and over and over and over again. So everybody, hopefully this is a clear enough example of the trivium. Grammar, the logic, the rhetoric. The logic is removing contradictions. That's generally what logic itself is. You have these two statements, you know, like uh, maybe the kid decides, hey, I want to um, weld metal to adobe. Well, sir, that's not going to work. Well, why? So we would have to introduce, you know, a form of contradiction um, and then explain this to this kid. 
and we would have a piece of rhetoric and maybe an example and he cycles back through it so the cycling feature we all do we we have all done it um, thousands tens of thousands of times the issue though is that we did not do it most of us with very, with much conscious thought unless maybe we had a mentor who was a lot of what mentoring take this from a guy who had a number of very very um, talented and special mentors in um, like explicitly mentor like relationships as a kid I can I can vouch for the fact that a lot of what's happening is they're bumping you forward out of these stupid sort of eddies you know in the river that you might get lost in and a good portion of that is the result of their own having wasted time and have you know their experience has led them to to make these observations and therefore to be able to speed you along and you with the trivium can sort of become your own mentor on virtually any subject uh, and a lot of times what the trivium does is show you well shit there's like a recursive spiral um, shape to knowledge sometimes where you could almost if it was a 3D and you were looking down like a spiral staircase you almost could just drop two or three levels down and sometimes the way that uh, the trivium works is to suggest to you hey yeah you do you do you have time to to spend on learning these you know the grammar uh, the elemental elementary sort of steps or do you want to grab a mentor you know somebody off Fiverr or whatever maybe or uh, at the community college and just in a matter of a week just save yourself six months or a year's worth of time yeah so you can apply the trivium to your own learning you can apply the trivium on the granular on the overview levels and everywhere in between one more note on the trivium is that it sort of comes with this appendage called the quadrivium and this is very fascinating as well I could or or I will I will not but I should I'll make a note um, dig up there was a guy that Richard had on who I have emailed with as well, Gene, I believe, Gene Sharp. He was the one who, as far as I know, really resurrected this thing. And uh, he had some very good notes on, on the quadrivium, which, as if I recall correctly, is um, geometry, music, astrology or astronomy, and um, damn, what's the fourth one? Geometry, music, astronomy. I forget, but they are—they were sort of withheld, reserved, if you will, uh, for the elites, the royals. Um, eventually, this—you know—a lot of this stuff escaped and. Now nobody cares about it because we have GarageBand or, or we have the Hubble telescope to look at. But it's a very, you know, it's kind of way beyond the scope of, of this one hour. But the quadrivium is your area. It's like four areas where you can start utilizing the trivium. And a way I believe this all was taught was grammar school. You know, you're just being coming, you're becoming familiar with what's available in the world. Like, this is a dog, this is milk, this is a car, this is a tree. Well, what does the tree do? And kids are doing this naturally, like, right? Like, well, why? 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 And they're just, want, they want to remove the contradictions. 
and many of the kind of better schools give kids the option to plant a tree or pet a dog or etc and um, you of course can do this for yourself you, you can do this for your kids and uh, last note you know the military at some point picked up on some of this because one form it's not quite the trivium but it sure as hell works and it lines up with the trivium very well is the um, see one do one teach one method which all my former military guys listeners and subscribers there are so many uh, little pieces to to your experience in the military which you can you know you paid for them you deserve to um, deploy them expertly wherever however in your life and um, I do have enough familiar familiarity with that model on in each role seeing one doing one and teaching one many 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 times to be quite certain that it's it's effective and you know back to John Taylor Gatto he made this exquisite point in one of his discussions with Richard Ander Grove, I believe, that he said nothing in the world is actually that hard. Um, and he made the example of driving, which really struck me. Uh, you know, for some, for whatever reason, reasons of commerce, reasons of need by industry, obviously, virtually everybody can drive. And yes, there are many accidents and quite a few people are hurt and maimed. A lot of those, you know, really do involve drugs, alcohol, texting, really stupid, shitty people. But for the, the vast majority of people, they are able to get into this super dynamic um, activity live time with all of these other people and you know, navigate this weird machine over these weird surfaces on time, on a daily basis, and it works. So if you really break it down next time you're driving, you know, you're looking in the rear, you're timing, you're looking, oh, this guy's, this guy's not paying attention. You know you have two miles to go to the exit. You might want to get over pretty soon. What's All of those calculations that almost everybody is able to do this is a sort of case for a rethinking on the condemnation that I am super guilty of, that many of us are, about our fellow man being, being mostly retarded. Um, because, God, they are, I mean, so often retarded. However, it, it raises this question with me, you know, if, if we adjusted, if we, were, if we had the levers of power and the knobs and we were able to adjust these different pressures and tensions on the great ranch that is the modern society, what different outcomes, even with the weird circumstances we have now, um, could be arrived at through this, this, the great power of this collectivity? It, it's stunning in its implications. All right, moving on from the trivium. Remember, I did not, um, I am not claiming that I gave you anything about the quadrivium because I still cannot remember what that fourth one is. It'll come to me as soon as I hit pause on this recording though. Okay, so closing out this hour, um, I can either tell you about the t-shirts and the other stuff on the website for the next 12 minutes I won't um, but you really should check them out um, I want to give you a couple of strange tips and tricks that I deploy for myself on a regular basis in order to build awareness and to keep myself sharp one of these is that I force myself to work out, to work out in the company of other people. Having, as I just said, been an athlete for, of one sort or another, doing athletics 
of many, many different, many sorts for a very, very long time. Um, I would say by the age of like 20, like right, right, you know, maybe after college or in college, I really preferred to do things on my own because um, a lot of the sort of stupid pressures that come that on the one hand can propel a man forward um, into excellence, you know, Jack Donovan talks about the tribe and whatnot. There's a level of mastery that is not necessarily going to be gained always in the company of others. I'm not saying that it, that it isn't, that mentorship and that, uh, you know, team activity doesn't play a role. Of course it does. But you, I bet you will find that time spent alone, whether that's dry fire or shooting free throws or um, whatever, accounts for a lot of what we what what is mastery not just what looks like mastery but what ultimately arrives as mastery of one thing or another so in my uh little journey regarding you know you start out in the company of of other people and um eventually i kind of rejected that for many many years and uh i've come back around to I still hate the gym culture. The, I mean, you know, back to thinking my fellow man is a dipshit. It's, I have to do a lot of, um, I have to ask for a lot of forgiveness when I'm at the gym, for sure. As well as when I'm driving. But at the gym, it's, you know, it's particularly, particularly acute. Um, the meathead... Um, you know, the females who are really just there to test out their, their abilities to attract attention. Um, oh, there's, there's just a whole bunch of characters that, you know, them all, I'm sure. However, there's some, there's like, um, an opportunity here where that, that's not quite there's other oppor- there are many other opportunities and I do recommend working out alone um, as well. When you work out with others in a gym environment though, you have everyone's in headphones for one. And you do have a job in front of you too. So there's no need to engage with people. There's no need to socialize. Um, and if you really are at the gym trying to play this game with females, um, again, you're probably not listening to this podcast. But um, if you are, stop doing that and probably go, go do a lot of working out by yourself. But you have these multiple opportunities, these kind of guidelines that you can exploit. Uh, or you can just, you know, spend another hour working out and phone it in and that's good and that's fine. But you're already there. You've already ritualized it. For newcomers, go back to other episodes. We're deep into um, a long-term discussion on the power of ritual, how to integrate it into the profane or mundane life in practical terms. And uh, this here is, is kind of an example of that, where take the treadmill you're working on your walking um a big feature you know that we didn't touch on that we can tie up here is where your eyes go when you're walking clearly we are predators our eyes are in the front and the eyes are controlled by the muscles in the neck in the back that connect to this uh the base of the skull so these can get all twisted around in many different ways essentially you want them long you want your whole neck long and you want to be able to feel that kind of swivel joint at the um the base of your spine you also want to be able to move your eyes without moving your head you would want to be able a predator in our in our circumstance you want to be able to move your head one way and move your eyes the other 
and do it in such a way that none of it, there's no tell at all that you are sizing up your environment. You can, of course, do this if you live in a city and you're walking down the block or what have you, you can try this out. But you can, get, you can do it uh, 25 times in a row in the gym and make it automatic. People are somewhat aware of you, you know, they're aware of motion over here or motion over there, and you likewise are somewhat aware of them. Um, I guess there's always the kind of low-grade potential for violence in the gym. Where I'm at, um, there is a great deal of diversity. However, it's, it's very, in my estimation, tame. Um, nonetheless, you're in public. Um, and so I don't know what the statistics might be on violence in a gym, but they're probably higher than they are at Kohl's or, um, you know, Sprouts Market. So this is a, another, yet another factor, a variable that you can adjust in a super controlled environment while one, enacting your ritual, two, getting the workout in, and three, compounding your efforts uh, towards a generalized awareness, raising your awareness. As with driving, going back to this real quick, you know, there are, there are just spectacular drivers. Most people, after a lot of years, seem to get pretty good. You know, they're, they can they can go through traffic pretty well and even you know professional drivers there's kind of a there are gradations among professional drivers not every cab driver is the same and i suppose that at some level it becomes an art so you do have stylistic variation the point here is to say however that certain drivers i have met I, I include myself in this number, maybe just it's my nature to find these places and to practice these areas of weakness or things that are, you don't do them all of the time. And so maybe you have cause to notice, oh, you know what, this, this right side mirror, it really does give you, you can bounce between the right side up to the rear view and then come back Personally, my home base is kind of, uh, you know, the driver's side mirror up to the rear, and, I can, and then I will occasionally check over in on the passenger side mirror. However, in this idea of raising awareness along with building ritual into your daily life, uh, I find myself noticing areas that I, you know, uh, like this, this passenger side mirror, like, huh, I, I hardly ever go there. And so why not just go there? Is, is getting to the airport or getting to your job, is any of that going to change if you were to start to break the mold of what you're doing? You see what I'm saying? New listeners, go back to the free episodes and listen to the stuff on the mold. So this introduces probably my main gift here in this, or piece of, you know, valuable bit for this, this segment. As you are confronting this idea of building out rituals and breaking the mold, you find that a lot of cross work can be done. You can do both in, in one fell swoop, as it were. You can begin to chip away at old habits as you build in these new things. And in building these new elements of whatever activity it is, working out, driving, conversation, etc., on and on and on, as you find areas that you're not so good at or that you've just neglected or that you were never even aware of, 
Um, how many people never use the passenger side mirror? Probably a lot more than we want to know. Um, you, so here's this instant opportunity to raise your awareness because when you introduce a new, you know this from life in general, when you introduce, you throw a wrench into the works as it were, or you, you change up what you've gotten used to, this forces you to confront your own abilities uh, and your own tendencies towards being fussy, towards, well, I don't like this. This isn't what I, this isn't what I normally do. Okay, this is not a survival skill. Whining and being fussy and making elaborate claims about or or justifications for why we have this way or that way is fucking retarded. It's, It's bullshit. You will know the difference if you have ever met a master of a trade because this guy will not get fussy when you present your, quote, new idea. He will look at you maybe raise an eyebrow, maybe chuckle to himself, and move the fuck on. Because he knows that you are are in that eddy in the river that we referred to 45 minutes ago. And it might take you either a mentor or, or you might never get out of it. You might be that old bastard at the grocery store who has to have his fucking Cheerios on Tuesday and will not will not abide by honey nut. Will simply, it just won't work, okay? What does all this have to do with survival, collapse, king of dogs, golden goat guild? You can see very clearly what it has to do with. The supply lines right now are already shifting. We're all going to be, I mean, unless you're Anna Kay from Red Scare pulling in $30,000 a month, she can probably afford to lay up a shitload of sardines um, and squeezable baby food or whatever she needs. No, no offense to her. Um, but the, but the most of us, you know, if I know several people who have managed to lay up quite a bit, but I also know, and they are, they are very wealthy, but immediately they're, the things that they turn to for comfort, whether it's cigarettes or chocolate or whatever, those, you know, those aren't going to be laid up. The routines that they've built in terms of what they take in each day and what they output each day, uh, these, are, these are not stupid people either. So, you know, they're aware of this and either they will taper off or otherwise manage it and they won't become fussy fucking honey nut cheerio guy and um whether or not we deal with the supply line issues in a sort of just nagging annoying way probably that's what's going to happen for the next for the foreseeable future Personally, I think that if the lights are shut off and dog food goes away, you're going to see some motherfuckers in the street. And I don't think that they, you know, they don't want that. That's obviously not what they want. They want a slow, grinding, stepwise descent into essentially financial apartheid. So, um, you know, speaking of Anna Kay from Red Scare, hopefully we can get her to listen to this episode. Hopefully she will appreciate the, you know, sort of cobbled together, uh, maybe it's grug level psychological insights that we provide here. But hey, it's free. So um, Anna, check out our two where where we really go deep. Um, So we're at an hour and um, I think this is a good place to end it. So, um, once again, you've been listening to the War Horse Podcast. And what we do here is we focus on practical and esoteric survivalism, essentially. I don't think that's the official motto, but it's kind of been how it's working out. Uh, Most of my stuff is on Instagram for now, Golden Goat Guild. There's also the website, goldengoatguild.net. For, uh, for regular listeners who are not yet subscribers, I urge you to uh, take the plunge. 
and join me in my mission to lay up cartons of tobacco, chocolate, and baby diapers. I'm kidding. Um, No, we go much deeper, uh, and we're just getting started. So if you've made it this far, I do really appreciate your attention. And if you have any comments, feedback, uh, criticism, hate mail, etc., Please, uh, I'm very easy to find in all of these platforms, and um, I would appreciate hearing from you. All right, so subscribers, hold on. We will be right back.